Welcome to the Shrink Think Podcast. I'm Aaron. And I'm Nathan. And we're both licensed professional counselors in Oregon here to bridge the gap between therapists and clients. We are your companions on your journey to build your healthcare practice, yourself, and your relationships. To get you started, we've created a free email course on our website, shrinkthink.com forward slash awesome. Just kidding. (laughs) Forward slash podcast. We've got practical steps on overcoming fear and anxiety. Hey, thank you for joining us on the Shrink Think Podcast. Disclaimer and newsflash, we are not your therapist. Welcome to the game. We are just educating you and that is it. Do not take what we're saying as a life-changing situation. Please just enjoy the program, sit back, relax, and thank you for being here. Hey there, Daniel Fava here, and if you don't know me, I'm the host of the Private Practice Elevation podcast, where I share online marketing strategies and interviews to help private practice owners attract more clients and scale their businesses. The Private Practice Elevation podcast is part of the SiteCraft network of podcasts, and I'm super excited to be part of this network alongside Aaron and Nathan and the great work they're doing. If you haven't discovered the Private Practice Elevation podcast yet, you can find it wherever you listen to your podcasts. I'd love for you to join me as we explore topics like building an effective website for your private practice, search engine optimization, content marketing, and copywriting, as well as my conversations with experienced private practice owners about scaling a practice, outsourcing, team leadership, and all the things that are going to help you elevate your business and create the life you love. Be sure to check us out at privatepracticeelevation.com for resources and content to help you in your online marketing journey. Hey everyone, welcome to the Shrink Think Podcast. We are excited to be back here again today, finishing our interview with Andrew Lang, who is a guest on our show. In the last episode, he talked about how he got into doing this inner critic work and what that even is and what it means. And in this episode, we are going to conclude the interview talking about shadow work and building a capacity for change and growth in your life. Andrew Lang is an educator in the Pacific Northwest, an alumnus of Richard Rohr's Living School for Action and Contemplation, and the author of the book, Unmasking the Inner Critic, Lessons for Living an Unconstricted Life. And along with writing regularly, Andrew facilitates workshops helping people to navigate their inner lives and explore their sense of identity and spirituality. Thanks for listening, and we hope you enjoy the show. The phrase that I always use, and I think it's a hard one to embody, is that all of this work is capacity building. And... Um, you know, we're, we're attempting to build our capacity to be more aware of our aliveness, you know, build our capacity to be more aware of what it means to be human, build our capacity to experience more of our emotions in a holistic way and not a way that drives us into reactivity. So I think one part is that, but the other part that, um, that you just said that I immediately came to mind is Casper, uh, Casper Turkile. He wrote the book, uh, the power of ritual. He defines a ritual as something that's done with intention, attention, and repetition. And in my mind, that's what we're talking about. Like when you say like washing the dishes, it doesn't matter what it is. 
you know, how are you building a capacity by choosing something uh, that you can bring a posture of intention to? I'm doing this for a reason. Attention, I'm fully in it. I'm noticing that's the mindfulness piece, right? I'm noticing all the complexities and the the stuff that's happening right here before me. And I'm going to do that every single day over and over again. And in the book, he talks about the difference between a, a ritual, you know, what has those three things and how often we just have habits. You know, every morning I wake up and I make my coffee. There's no intention, really. The intention is just to get the coffee. There's zero attention. Absolutely not. There's like coffee grounds spilled everywhere. It's garbage, nonsense, chaos land. As long as I get the product. (laughs) So, so I, I think of that is when I go to my therapist, what my therapist is helping me do is see the things that I need to bring that posture of intention, attention and repetition to, um, my, my therapist is inviting me into a capacity building process and, and the work isn't in his office. Like that's a, there's a pointer. He's a guide. He can help. But like the work is me then going out into the world and getting serious about the hard work of practicing, um, that, that capacity building. I love this. This is like, you're, you're so right on. It's like the therapist is asking questions or examining things or, or just exploring and trying to discover things about you that you might not have even known were there, or you might not have realized need to be explored. But it's the thing that I always say, it's like therapy in some sense is helping you as a person move from the habits or what I call autopilot. So many people are just on autopilot. They don't even know what they're doing, why they're doing the things that they're doing. And I can ask a question like, Oh, well, tell me about that. Why did you do that? And they're like, I have no idea. And, and it's, and in some ways it's shocking to me because it's like, wow, are you not aware or do you not have attention to, or did you not carry a specific intention to what you're doing? And it just happened kind of without your knowledge. I mean, it, it started somewhere. You had some specific intention somewhere, but then it just moved into a habit and you cleared it from your mind. And from that standpoint, you're just limiting your capacity because you're not even present with the things you're not bringing yourself to the things that you're doing. And so therefore they're out of your control, out of your awareness, out of your power, essentially. Is, is that accurate? Would you say? Yeah. And there's a gentleness to it, I think, right? Like we're all, and I think that's where I come, I, we named before we started recording, but like, this is heavy work realizing that we've been running on autopilot for X number of years. And there's also an invitation to gentleness and softness, which is that like, and you're here and now you're like, you're noticing it. And so how are you going to be gentle with the story that got you here and say, and there's a a deeper depth that I am now interested in diving into James Finley. uh, He was a a monk for six years and then he's been a a psychotherapist for the rest of his career. He's now um, retired, but he has this phrase that just always hits in such a poetic way for me. And he says, if we're not careful, we can find ourselves skimming over the surfaces of the depths of our own lives. Can you say that again? Yeah. 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 (laughs) That is so good. (laughs) Says if we're not careful, we can find ourselves skimming over the surfaces of the depths of our own lives. Oh, and we're missing so much deep, meaningful stuff. Yeah. I remember the first time, so I was sitting in a, like a lecture hall with him when he said that the first time, 
And I remember this vivid, uh, visceral image came over me of this, of me on this boat in these waves and they're not huge waves, but they're, they're waves. Um, and I'm looking down into the water and two things hit me at the same time. The first was, um, I really wonder what it would be like to dip my toes in, not dive because diving is terrifying, right? You don't know what's down there, but like, what would it be like to, to play a little? And then the second one was this fear of what if there's nothing there? And I, I think a lot, um, I don't think I've heard this from, from folks I work with that a lot of the stuff that keeps us from going deep in this kind of inner work, however you want to describe it and whatever modality you're working with is this fear of what if there's nothing there? What if this is it? Mm-hmm. What if, what if this is just it? And I think there's a softness and a gentleness there too. Uh, and saying, where did that, where does that story come from in you? And what's connected to that story? Can I ask kind of a, a connecting piece? Like, um, and I want to make sure we can get to some of the shadow work. So, um, but as we're talking about all this, like, you know, be gentle, be aware, all that kind of stuff. I'm like, I'm thinking if, if I'm listening to this, like it all sounds interesting and great, but like practically speaking, like what's the benefit of this? Like, I, I know I've got some clients that um, are always challenging me like, okay, I understand that. Like, what do I do with it? Or like, and it's not so much, what do I do, but more like, what is the practical implication? What benefits? What am I going to get? Yeah. What what's, am I going to get happen? from doing this work? How am yeah. I going to change? Um, my, my answer that I usually, I mean, I don't know if it's an answer. My, my take uh, on this, when I work in my, in my spaces uh, is that it's about you and it's about beyond you. And it's about your communities and the people you surround yourself with. Most of the folks that I work with are activist types or folks that um, they, they see the issues of the world and they want to, in some small way, make a difference. And the reason this work is vital is that the posture you carry when you step into collective spaces is the posture you are inviting that space to then mirror. Mm. And I, I think that is so vital that um, I, I refer to it as curmudgeonly energy. When, when we're just kind of curmudgeon through our life and you can picture Scrooge or whatever image of curmudgeon you've, you've got. Um, but when you're closed off, tight, hunkered down, um, just crabby at the world, crabby at yourself, and you step into a space, what energy are you inviting? You're not inviting dancing energy. Like you're, <laughs> and so the, the why for me, the practical, what are you going to get? you're going to invite the folks around you to see themselves in a way that's not curmudgeonly. And that's how we change our communities. That's how we shift our cultures in ways that are healing on a much more personal basis. What are you going to get? I call it aliveness, but a sense, a sense of depth and a sense of vibrancy in your aliveness. I remember a few months ago, I was out on a beach and my friend was walking with me and my friend's a poet and we're just walking along and he jumps up on this log and like walks along the log, just like, you know, many of us, most of us did when we were four or five, six years old. And my entire body was like rigid because I was like, no, my hands are going to stay at my sides. No, I'm going to stay on, I'm going to stay on these rocks as I'm walking. I can't, I can't play. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. I think that what do you get from this when we do our inner work and we really, it's slow. Um, but when we do these kind of daily practices, these capacity building, you return to a playfulness and an aliveness and a vibrancy 
that I think we all have some version of a memory of. And it's not going to be exactly the same as when we're four or five and that and our experience at four or five is very different from each other's. But I think that's really a powerful image for folks that there is something more and, and that that moreness is already there within you. Ever felt like you needed someone who really gets what you're going through? Meet the Peer Network, where real understanding meets genuine support in mental health and addiction recovery. So what is peer support? It's a powerful connection with someone who has walked a similar path. Our certified peer support specialists have their own stories of overcoming challenges in mental health and addiction. They're here to share, listen, and guide. With the Peer Network, you're not just getting advice. You're gaining a partner in your journey, someone who empathizes, relates, and helps you navigate your path with their first-hand experience and professional training. Through our telehealth platform, this support is as close as your phone or computer. It's a safe, confidential space where you can talk, learn, and grow, all at your own pace and from the comfort of your own home. Whether you're seeking support for mental health challenges or walking the road of addiction recovery, the Peer Support Network offers a hand to hold, an ear to listen, and a heart that understands. Visit thepeernetwork.com to discover more. Your journey is unique, and so is our support. The Peer Network. Empathy in action. Support in every step. And I was just thinking when you were describing the log incident, that's a perfect example of what you're talking about when you walk into the collective of folks and then you're inviting them into who you are and what's going on because your friend invited you into playfulness and your response was, nope, yep. I'm not doing that. So the invitation is denied, sir. You're not. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and I think that's a huge, like just naming that, like, are you walking around with denying energy? Like, are you, and if energy is the wrong word, like if that's not resonating, like just check your behavior. Are you walking around saying no a lot? Like, are you walking around defaulting to no without ever realizing you said no? Here's another story, but a couple of years ago I was engaged. And uh, as we had gotten engaged, all of a sudden everything kind of hit the fan and we realized, oh, that was a bad decision. Like there, we've got, we've got some stuff we need to work through if this is ever going to be a thing. And one of the core pieces of it was that um, one of us had very yes energy, said yes to basically everything. You know, I'm going to go buy a snowboard because I'm going to go snowboarding for the first time. I'm going to drop, you know, X amount of money. And I had the ability to do that because I'm going to go do this thing. And then one of us, me, had very no energy <laughs> at the time. <laughs> I, I, I didn't, I was still formulating who I was. And so I was in a protective state of really my default is no, I'm going to have these really hefty boundaries and boundaries are extremely important and boundaries that keep you in a posture of no all the time uh, can become really unhealthy when you go beyond the season for which that is helpful. So what I would hear from, from that, you know, like, so like, what do I get from that? Or what's my takeaway? You said, you know, like vibrancy and aliveness. I think those are all true. And I would even say kind of from my standpoint, it's like you're missing out on some of the excitement, the joy, the adventure, the discovery, the exploration of life. 
you might be, you know, you're, you're kind of describing what children are like when they are playing together. You know, it's like, uh, one kid says to another, Hey, do you want to play? They're just like open. And another one's like, sure. You know, and then they explore, they imagine, they discover, they create new worlds of imagination and connection that are, you know, if you've had any kind of meaningful experiences or relationships in childhood that are so valuable, that's kind of what life is really about. And so you're open to and engaging with the world and with other people in a way that's not just so like, well, we've got an hour for this meeting. It was great talking with you. Thanks for coming to coffee. Um, see you next time. It, it's just so much more meaningful and, um, yeah, just exciting. I think, um, and even some of the just actual experiences that if you're open to saying yes to, you might surprise yourself on some of the things that you like and enjoy. Um, kind of reminds me of, of, I went to Venice this, well, I went to, um, Paris and Italy this summer, and I spent a couple of days in Venice by myself and I wanted to make sure I tried a little family owned on the outskirts of the city restaurant. And it was an all seafood dish. And I'm not a huge seafood person. I like a lot of seafood, but it was totally new to me. And my favorite thing, one of my favorite things, I guess I should say on the entire trip was that place because I tried some seafood things that I had never heard of and never would have ordered on my own, but I was open to it. And it was incredible, delicious, great views. The people around me were incredible. It's just like those kinds of experiences, like that energy you're inviting into your life that create memories and create meaning and value. I guess that's kind of what I hear just to expand on that. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think there's another aspect of this, which is that we all hit different, um, intensities of the, you know, everything hitting the fan moment, right? Some of us walk through our entire lives on the, in this numbness, this autopilot, and we don't notice it because in a lot of our industries, especially numbness and autopilot pilot are highly rewarded. Can you set the table for the business meeting? Can you make sure the meeting uh, gets to the objective? Can you make sure we do it in a time allocated? Uh, congratulations, you get a promotion, right? So like a lot of this is the, that story that's really highly regarded. And then you get to 65 and this, these, this was the clientele that I originally started working with were largely um, retired men and they had gone their whole life in business and they were looking around saying, what the hell have I done with my life? I'm proud of the accolades. I'm proud of the, the awards. I'm proud of, you know, supporting and providing for my family. And I don't know how to deal with the fact that I don't know my partner anymore. And I haven't in 50 years because I haven't been like, I haven't, my wholeness has not seen their wholeness. And I think that's another aspect of this, which is just really painful and important is that if we can develop the practices early in life to be alive to our experiences, we don't turn out 65, 70 years old, wishing we had said yes more. It's like preventing and avoiding loss and regret. Yeah. Because no matter what we do, terrible things are going to occur, <laughs> right? Like that's no matter, there's no stopping the terrible thing. And the posture we carry in the midst of that is the difference between a curmudgeon who takes it all into their body. And, and, um, so many of, you know, I, I use the phrase wisdom teachers, elders might be another one, but like, you know, the type of older person that has gone through hell and back and has this beautiful twinkle in their eye, like still makes jokes. Still, right? Like that is a powerful 
And, and what is the takeaway? Like, what's the, what do I get from this? For that older person who has the twinkle in their eye, what are they modeling for younger generations? Right. Beauty, like wonder, curiosity. And I, I think that's, that's awe inspiring. It's, it's the ability to, um, abilities, maybe the wrong word, but to be in self. And I think what, what people don't realize is how much energy that it takes to not be there. Like you are using a lot of, of energy. You've talked about the, the no, but if you think of your, yourself, like you're a conductor, like meaning like you're conductive, like metal, not like oh, Aaron. Not okay. Yeah. Um, and you could run electricity through there is you, you get charged with this energy in it and it wants to move through you. But if you're going to hold it because you're just not going to deal with whatever this thing is, then it will stay there and it will bother you. And then you will have to make an adjustment, which will happen to other adjustments and make more adjustments over a period of your curmudgeon little life. (laughs) So, so then, and I, I feel like those are where the, uh, the shadows, um, are so you, you have to actually just accept. And like you're saying the first movement with gentleness, like, yeah, well, I've been storing some energy there. Haven't I? Yes, I have. This is actually real. And that's a first step that's actually vital because if you don't, you can't actually do anything until you can look and say, well, there it is. Yeah. It's the 12 steps, right? Like it's important and not just the 12 steps, but so many programs, so many modalities begin with, you have to start with some sort of, oh shit moment. I see it for what it is. Uh, I'm not, I'm not sure we hadn't talked about me swearing on here, but like, <laughs> but we you have know, to erase the whole episode. Now you're cool. This is just, a, this is just us <laughs> talking about like a, a shadow that we weren't prepared for, <laughs> <laughs> but, but that's the, that's, that's so important is that the first, you know, when you're on that boat and you're looking into the depths, you're wondering what's there. You're immediately facing the urgent right there question of, Am I about to enter into a moment that I that I'm going to see something for the first time that I can't come back from? And yeah, <laughs> like the answer is often yes, and it won't destroy you. And that's that's the gentleness part. And and when we think about IFS, right? When you sit with your protector parts or your exile part, like having a gentleness and an openness to recognizing that they are part of you. All your stories are part of you. They're there for a reason. How do we sit with them and understand their reason instead of getting pissed and trying to just cast them out? Yeah. Yeah. And as you're saying that, that idea of gentleness and compassion is coming from yourself, not from the parts. So it gives you the ability to interact with those, with those shadows, which is where I want to ask you next. What would be kind of the starting point exercise? I mean, you've said some things that I'm wondering, like another layer into the shadow work uh, to kind of give the folks some ideas of how the shadow work happens. Yeah. So I'll start with context. When I talk shadow work, I'm a pretty huge believer that personal work is, um, it doesn't mean a whole ton if you're not doing it in tandem with understanding how you show up in communities and collective spaces. 
And so when I do shadow work and lead workshops, which we're just wrapping up one next week, I introduce folks to a three-part uh, process. First part is your personal shadows. What are the things in your story that you have so far left un untended to, unexamined, underexamined? Then when you enter into your communities, what are the stories or the narratives or the conversations in your communities that those who have power or shape the conversation, shape what is allowable to talk about. What are the things that they don't want to have talked about? And so they fester as unsaid, unspoken things that everybody knows about, but ain't nobody going to say anything. Um, and then on the societal level, what are the things as a, um, you know, me sitting here in the Northwest, the United States of America, what are the things that you cannot say in the United States of America without massive defensiveness? What are the the um, the things that we see it on TV every day, but what are those big pieces that as a collective, specifically those who have had historical power and have current power in the United States have said are off limits. Don't bother challenging them. And if you do challenge, you're going to be torn apart. So that's kind of my quick disclaimer. When I introduce people into shadow work, the, the first level is always the personal and it's because it's the most intimate and closest to us. It's also, I firmly believe the hardest. <laughs> um, and this is where therapy comes in, right? Like this is the, this is therapy. This is inner critic work. This is, uh, for me, I lead a lot of journaling practices and tech and what I said earlier, like a texturing practice. But I also have this one practice that I'll, I'll just share it here. And it's one of the most valuable body-based practices that I have kind of, I don't know where I came up with it or if I just got it by osmosis from therapists and body workers, but it's a practice of if you stand or sit in a space and then extend your entire body as big as it possibly gets. So, you know, hands up and out, uh, legs wide spread. So your body's like full expansion as big as you can possibly get. And just take a few moments to breathe and feel what does it feel like to be fully expanded? And then slowly moving yourself down, uh, tucking your knees, closing your arms, and getting as constricted as you can possibly get. And then doing that kind of rhythm, that in and out expansion constriction two or three times. And what I have found in personal shadow work, and it has some ties into the collective as well, is that so many of us have been taught, um, along with who we are, We've been taught stories about how much space we can take up. Some of us have been taught that we can take up all the space. As a white male, I have been taught that I can take up way too much space, way more space than is mine. Some of us have been taught to take up way too little space to silence ourselves when we have opinions. And so in your body, finding an embodied equilibrium that isn't too small and isn't too big, finding where it feels in your body that, that natural kind of equilibrium space, and then taking that to the journal and imagining, all right, these narratives that I have that I've basically not looked at, um, because they're, they challenge, they challenge me or I've been told not to think about them. Um, what would it look like to carry an equilibrium? What would it look like to interrogate that shadow or interrogate that story I have and find where is the equilibrium truth? What do I actually feel? What's my, what's my actual thoughts on this? Um, that's usually where we start is we, we identify, you know, what's a story that you know is there, uh, but you don't want to look at and you haven't wanted to look at and then start to 
to, to find what are the access points? What are the questions you need to sit with? And then let's sit with them for a week, two weeks and come back. And that's the capacity building part. (laughs) It just takes time. Yeah. Yeah. I, you know, I love that. And, um, this is, you're going to, everyone listening, you guys are all going to think I'm weird and crazy for saying this, but, um, I just watched the Joker for the first time. This is the Joaquin Phoenix version. And, uh, I watched it with my 14 year old and we were sort of, I guess, narrating along with the movie, kind of what's happening sort of in, in his progression from who he was originally into the Joker, which is kind of like he sort of lost touch with, you know, uh, himself and reality and just, he sort of broke or whatever. But the thing I love about that movie is you see in a really strange, maybe in, in, in the opposite direction, but a strange way, somebody who was like taking up very little space and you could see it. He, his acting was phenomenal, but he was like shrunken down, not making eye contact his body was sort of shriveled into itself. And as the movie progresses, I mean, obviously in certain senses, he was like coming unraveled, but in another certain sense, he was sort of embodying himself like this, this Joker, this guy that wanted to be a comedian and was comfortable with himself. And as that was happening, he was like opening up and smiling more and looking at people in the face and taking up, you know, like dancing around and, and again, it's just a, it's just a movie and it's sort of a villain, a villainous sort of a version of it. But I love seeing that progression of somebody sort of becoming more of, you know, what's really good and true about them. You know, in this case, obviously it was like a murderer. So please don't do that. <laughs> if you're yeah. like, go the opposite direction. This is not embracing the, sh- the shadow. Be one shadow taking over. <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. But it's like integrating the shadow into the self. Um, but anyway, I just, I love that you're saying that because it's, it's when you see that in somebody, you're like, ah, it's, it gives you this sense of like, oh, this is you as a person, this feels really good. And you're engaging the world around you. So just as we head for home here in this episode, you mentioned something that you wrote a book and I'm assuming that it's kind of on the subject and it relates to everything we're talking about. So tell us a little bit about that and where can our listeners find that book? It's actually totally off sub. No. Um, yeah. So the book is called Unmasking the Inner Critic Lessons for Living an Unconstricted Life. And it's really this conversation. I'm a teacher by training. And so it's not a 500 page theory book. It's it's a workbook in a book with lots of stories. And I look at what different therapists and trauma specialists and including spiritual teachers have taught for how do you move through uh, these, the, the voices, how, how do you move through what the inner critic has taught you? How do you move with these narratives that you have and through them so that you can embody a, a more whole version of you and really come home to what, whatever language you want to use your true self or, you know, your, your capital S self, but really I come back to the word aliveness. The book is around how do you deepen in your sense of aliveness so that you're not on autopilot for your whole life. That's really, I think the book comes from my experience of just doing it myself and then um, my work uh, in therapy myself. And then a lot of just the teachers that I found and and really resonated with, whether it's like a 14th century mystic <laughs> or a modern day trauma specialist. So it's all over the place, but it's it's a really uh, lovely little book that that's action focused. Find it on Amazon. Super easy. You can also find it on my website, andrewglang.com. And for those people that are wanting to embrace their shadow and stalk you everywhere on social media, <laughs> like the freaking Joker, uh, I'm just kidding. Uh, how, how can uh, how can people find you on social media? 
Uh, you can reach me on Instagram. Uh, the handle is Andrew G Lang. And I basically just share quotes <laughs> and, and random little musings about when I find a tree that I really like. <laughs> That's that's pretty much it. It's, l- it's largely trees, nature, and quotes. <laughs> you will find big shadows related to trees. I think so. It makes sense. <laughs> <laughs> Everything's connected. <laughs> yeah, right. Oh, my lantern. Well, Andrew, thank you so much for joining us. It is definitely a different flavor than like what, what we've talked about. We haven't talked about... You've definitely shared some new some new stuff for the show. And it's also cool for people, I think, to be able to reflect back on some of the other episodes we've had and go like, Oh, that's an interesting way to look at that different type of thing. So one way that I always end an episode is saying, have a great day. Thank you. Thanks for listening to our show. Don't forget to head over to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts to leave us a review and subscribe to our podcast so you never miss an episode. You can also visit our website at www.shrinkthinkpodcast.com forward slash course and sign up for our free email course, Nine Ways to Overcome Fear and Self-Doubt. And you'll get nine weeks worth of customized practical strategies you can use to get past the fear that's holding you back in your life. Thanks again for listening. 